0: So tonight's talk is about trusting your own experience to teach you everything you need to know. I'd like to start with a quote from uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, a well-known uh, Buddhist master who passed away a while ago in the kind of crazy wisdom tradition of Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism. and. Uh, He started out one of his talks with a group one day. He said to them, I would like to say, ladies and gentlemen, that you shouldn't be afraid of who you are. That's the first key idea. You shouldn't be afraid of who you are. You should not be afraid of who you are. It's very important for you to realize that. So that could be one way that we could frame our practice. We're learning not to be afraid of who we are. Yesterday, uh, there was a reporter from the Boston Globe here writing a story about this retreat. And she was asking us, why do you do this? And she had this great curiosity about her. It was like, well, how does this apply to daily life? And what what are you trying to do when you come and sit here in this seclusion and don't talk and you're silent. She was very fascinated by this idea of being silent for all these days. And and I said to her, I said, well, when people come here on retreat, they stop running from themselves. It's like we don't have many distractions here. So when we come and we sit down in the meditation hall and we practice meditation, we're facing ourselves in order to learn. And she was very interested in this idea. When we come and we sit in silence and we put away our usual distractions and um, entertainments in our life, we do come face to face with ourselves. And as you've seen, it's not always easy. It's not always pretty. And I'm sure that most of you at different times today have struggled with different aspects of life's experience that has arisen. For example, sleepiness. We heard some examples at 4.45 today, sleepiness and restlessness and chaotic thinking and um, uninvited emotions. So it takes a lot of courage to do this. It takes an amazing amount of courage, too, to be willing to sit without distraction and to keep sitting and walking and sitting and walking. But it's the way to fearlessness at the same time. Because when we stop running, when we really stop running from who we are, what do we have to be afraid of? So we're all drawn to this, even though it's difficult, we're all drawn to this. You're all still here. We have this, this pull towards wanting this intimacy, this ability to connect with our experience, with life. We have this deep longing for authenticity and for freedom. So even though it's difficult and it takes courage, we're drawn forward, we're given the energy to continue through this deep longing in the heart and the mind to understand, to find peace, to understand intimacy with ourselves and with this world that we've taken birth in. So how do we, how do we grow in this practice? How does it unfold exactly? And I want to talk about two basic ways that we grow and become stronger and um, fearless in practice. And one way is through um, an increasing sense of peace and stability that we can touch moments of during our retreat. And the other way is through working with all of the challenges that come up for us, some of which I just mentioned. So usually we like the first part, (laughs) the increasing moments of peace and stability. And and most of us hope that that's what most of practice is going to be about. (laughs) But they're both part of practice, both parts, the increasing sense of peace and the challenges that come up. They both make us strong. They both um, make our hearts and minds fearless. So I'll talk a little bit about each of them. What we start to understand as we practice is that there is a very um, strong power that comes with presence, with being able to be here now with our experience in this moment just as it is. That there's a, there's not only a power to that, there's a great joy and peace that comes from this. I'd like to read a quote from uh, our little story from uh, one of the Uh, retreatants we had on the teen retreat um, last year. He wrote this when he was 17, so a little bit younger than all of you. But it uh, describes really beautifully the power of presence. That's what he titled it. He said, last summer during a sit towards the end of the teen course, I was going about my normal routine settling the mind, focusing on the breath, and letting ambient sounds come and go. Suddenly, I experienced a first in my meditation practice. I was uncontrollably happy. Feelings of total relaxation, of fullness, of being in the right place and doing the right thing were produced. Experiencing this happiness was extremely powerful. It wasn't about beating a video game or buying a new pair of shoes but was pure joy in its simplest form, joy about nothing at all. I was radiating positive energy, everyone in the hall was. I was at the pinnacle of my spiritual mind altering high. Breathe in, breathe out. And a couple of minutes later, I was back to the struggle of staying in the present. While this deep happiness only lasted a short time, it was gratifying to know how rewarding it is. It has given me the curiosity to become more mindful on a day-to-day basis, whether it's taking a deep breath every so often to remind myself of now or noticing subtle scenes of beauty while walking down a sidewalk. The power of presence. This was um, a significant moment because there was a paradigm shift in his mind from... um, understanding happiness as somehow related to acquiring things or making things be a certain way or excitement or something new or all the many many ways we think about happiness to seeing that happiness can be something that's very simple. It can come from just presence in this very moment with the breath. So we learn uh, and we, we can all have moments like this, and sometimes, you know, they're short. He said it lasted a short time, and then it passed, right? But having moments like this can help us to understand where we can really look for happiness in life and where um, our happiness is more conditional, which isn't going to uh, bring us any kind of lasting satisfaction. And I think we've all had tastes of this kind of presence. Sometimes um, a scene of great beauty will stop us long enough to just have that sense of the joy of presence, perhaps a beautiful sunset, or maybe a child's smile, or something that stops our usual um, chatter and, and our usual searching. And it's like, oh, just this. And as we practice, we, we, we cultivate the ability to have more moments like this, of understanding a simple kind of happiness based on contentment and peace. A kind of joy that isn't dependent on circumstances. But as you can see from the story that I read, we can't, make it happen. That's, that's so interesting. It's like we can't make that kind of simple happiness happen. You can't will it to happen because it actually happens because there's an absence of wanting. And so if we want to make, um, it's like if we want to make that kind of happiness happen, we've already gotten in the way. But we can create conditions that help, um, help us to learn about this simpler kind of happiness. And there's another way that um, actually helps these kinds of moments of peace um, show themselves more clearly to ourselves. And that's um, the second part of practice that I talked about, working with our challenges. It's actually directly working with the challenges that come up in practice that help us learn to trust life and help us learn to relax into presence. So a lot of practice uh, is, is working with challenges. You, you, you may have already noticed that there probably were more moments of working with challenge th- today than there were moments of peace resting in the simplicity of the breath or um, presence. And so what we learn in practice is to actually welcome the challenges as our teachers. Everything that comes up in our practice, whether it's sleepiness or, or anxiety or depression or restlessness or, God forbid, boredom, any of these things that come up, these are our teachers. And so we learn through practice how to connect with these experiences with mindfulness. That's how there are teachers, by connecting with them with mindfulness and learning from these experiences. The Buddha said, All things are mastered by mindfulness, an incredibly powerful, important uh, mind state, state of mind, quality of mind. So as I said a little bit last night mindfulness is is a quality of what we call non-judgmental attention or an attention that connects with experience with the intention to understand rather than to judge So it reflects mindfulness reflects what's true in this moment right now unconditionally just as it is So it's not this has to this can stay and this has to go it's like Yes, this, and this, and this. So mindfulness is a very inclusive quality. Sometimes it's said nothing to gain and nothing to throw away, just connecting with things as they are. One of my favorite uh, Tibetan teachers, Pema Chodron, said, This body that we have, this very body that's sitting here right now in this room, this very body that perhaps aches, and this mind that we have at this very moment are exactly what we need to be fully human, fully awake, and fully alive. Furthermore, the emotions that we are having right now, the negativity and the positivity, are what we actually need. It is just as if we looked around to find out what would be the greatest wealth that we could possibly possess in order to lead a decent, good, completely fulfilling, energetic, inspired life and found it right here. Do you believe this? I do, but sometimes I forget we have to keep reminding ourselves and keep learning it over and over again. And the reason it's true what she says is because um, our experience, uh, well, our experience as it is couldn't be anything else. (laughs) It's the truth. It's the truth as it's manifesting in this moment. And by becoming aware of and connecting to this, we have the chance to learn. It's like Temple said with his um, very uh, nice uh, analogy of a car. It's like, how does it work? How does life work? What leads to increasing stress and suffering? What leads to increasing happiness? All of our experience is what teaches us that. And the Buddha was a person just like us who struggled to learn this from his own experience. He tried this and he tried that. He tried different paths of meditation. He tried some very, um, some austerity practices, um, ascetic practices. He finally discovered that sitting with the present moment, with ease and relaxation, that that's the way to learn. He really wanted to learn this, he wanted to learn how can I be free from a sense of imprisonment, of constant stress, a longing that we may all have also in our hearts. So we talked today about using the anchor in our practice as a way to help us reconnect with. Um, presence with the present moment, with our experience in the present moment. And as I said, that's a tool that we use to help um, in some ways to help us get a basic grip on what's happening (laughs) because most people, if you said sit down, watch your mind, it would get pretty um, entangled. And so the idea with the anchor is to help us um, start to develop some sense of steadiness or some place that we know that we're some experience we know we can anchor with that will um, help us arrive here. But really we're interested in all of our experience and um, as we go through the days as I said we'll be adding on um, more instructions for example we'll be learning how to relate to our bodies the sensations in our bodies, both pleasant and unpleasant, that arise. We'll talk more about working with thoughts and emotions. And we'll we'll talk about getting interested in how we relate to all of these experiences. So. Um, Painful experiences, how do we relate to those? Pleasant experiences, how do we relate to those? Where's the stress? Where's the real suffering? Where's the freedom? These are the kinds of questions we explore. And through this process, um, one way I describe practices is is we end the, the war of separation within ourselves. So we stop fighting reality. We learn how to um, live in harmony with life. And we could call that love, too, the stopping, the war of separation, the war that we have within ourselves. And through this process, we become more and more authentic, more and more holy who we are. Again, it's not about rejection of any part of ourselves, but actually a full and deep embracement of embracing of who we are. And through that embracing, transformation happens. Our, our, you could say our wholesome qualities become stronger and our unwholesome qualities um, don't dominate us so much. And this happens through awareness, connection, and the learning that happens as we sit with our experience. So you can see, it's not—it's not a path of force. It's actually a path—a path of love. The transformation happens through kindness and through care. So it's really important in our practice to be looking at um, how, how, what kind of attitude are we bringing to our practice? Is the attitude that we're bringing—is there like? I would call it a subtle aggression against ourselves. Like, oh, this isn't okay, this has to go. I'm not doing it right. This isn't the way it's supposed to happen. Everybody else is having it different. Or all these kinds of thoughts that we can have, we have to bring those into awareness so that they don't operate like underground and um, undermine our energy and our enthusiasm for what we're doing. So we're orienting, we continue to orient the mind towards, it's okay. Can I hold this with care? Can I hold this with love? Can I meet my experience with an open heart? And it's, we're not always going to be able to, that's just the way it is, but, but, we, st- but we, we, we understand that that's our goal. And the goal isn't to try to get rid of things and change ourselves out of some sense of aggression. So I thought I'd talk a little bit more um, about one of these challenges that, that we meet, and that's the challenge of um, working with our thoughts. You may have noticed by now that we tell ourselves um, many, many stories about life and ourselves and what's happening. And as we um, learn to become more aware of thought, we, we find that we can... Um, begin to emerge a little bit from this dream world that we create in our minds and gain some perspective. And so each time when, we, when we're when we meditating and we wake up and we're aware that we've been thinking, each time that we have that moment of waking up, it's actually a very powerful moment because it's, it's a moment where um, we can understand thought and we can understand Um, We can learn not to get entangled in it and um, have it dominate our lives, but we can actually um, have some freedom in that moment. And so each time that we we wake up and notice we've been thinking and we come back to our anchor, we're um, conditioning the mind not to be overwhelmed and... um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Oppressed by our thoughts. One of my favorite quotes about thoughts is from Mark Twain. He said, I've suffered many terrible misfortunes in my life, most of which never happened. <laughs> And that's kind of what happens with our minds. <laughs> they, they get us into a lot of trouble. <laughs> we suffer many terrible misfortunes. And as we start to be able to wake up from these stories, we start to see, oh, how powerful is a thought? Do I have to believe them? When we're not aware, right, when we don't know what we're thinking, we believe the stories. We believe everything our mind is telling us. And some of it's pretty crazy. I mean. Some of it, if your friend told it to you, you'd be like, you're nuts. But, <laughs> but when we're not aware and we're lost in the thoughts, we believe them. And uh, they're very powerful. They, they create our universe. They create our whole world. But the moment you know you're thinking, there's some choice. There's some space. There's some perspective. And and the first thing we can start to learn is we don't have to believe all our thoughts. That's incredibly liberating. Sometimes if I find a story, my mind repeats a lot. Um, And usually the ones that repeat a lot are really deep conditioning, like old, old conditioning, something I learned as a child, some story about who I am or how the world is. And sometimes I'll just say, this is a story I tell myself. It's like I'll wake up out of thought and say, oh, this is a story I tell myself. Mm -hmm. It's like just to, to start to gain some perspective that it isn't necessarily true. Some story we've gotten used to telling ourselves about who we are and how the world is. So even if you only get this week that you don't have to believe your thoughts, it'll be worth it. I, um, I think many of us have, have a kind of thought pattern. I know I've worked with it a lot in my practice, in the early years, especially a lot, with uh, a deep thought um, pattern of in- inadequacy, that somehow I wasn't good enough. Um I thought I was a terrible yogi and that I had to work harder, and be better. But just kind of this insist this kind of underlying story in life that that somehow I was inadequate. And we get this a lot from yogis. It's a, it's a it's a real cultural epidemic, I would say. There's um, a book that I read by Ethan Nick Turn called One City, A Declaration of Interdependence, which is actually a great book, um, and he talks about it like this. He, he talks about it a lot. Also, I think our consumer, a uh, part of it, I think, is our as our consumer-oriented uh, society that depends advertising and, and success in um, selling things depends so much in our current society in, in convincing us that we're not good enough, and that we need whatever is being advertised in order to be um, somehow complete. This is another truth that we, or another fallacy that we see through when we practice. We don't need all that. <laughs> he says it, but I like the way he he says this. He says, "The basic message has always been the same: you are not enough." The longer version goes like this. Face it, you were never one of the cool kids. In fact, you've never been close to cool. For this transgression, you shall forever remain unworthy of the blessings in your life. You are inadequate in ways you can't even describe or pinpoint. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we believe this, don't we? But um, but if you do this or you get that, if you believe... uh, the other thing, then you might maybe possibly be okay, but only for a little while. I've become the worst kind of consumer, a consumer of unmeetable expectations. My inner Times Square makes the outer Times Square look like a playpen in comparison. (laughs) So much time in life has been lost chasing the morphing ghosts of cool when I could have been learning how to be kind. So as we um, bring out into the open some of these uh, deeply held beliefs about ourselves, we can orient it um, towards kindness. We can realize that um, well, we do realize as we sit, one way as we sit and we accept what comes up over and over and over again, it brings about a deep acceptance of who we are, and we start to see through any stories that were inadequate or that we should be different than who we are. I know when I first came to practice, I sort of had this idea that I was a, I say, a fixer upper, that I, <laughs> I needed a lot of fixing. and. Um, over years, I saw that the, the fixing that I actually needed was um, to love myself as I am. And that as I learn to do that more and more and more and more, who I am transforms. But it comes from that acceptance. We do um, group interviews on this retreat. And one thing I like about group interviews is that uh, we get a chance to hear what's going on for other people. And it really helps us um, judge ourselves less, I think, you know, because we can be sitting here in the hall and everybody looks like they're doing great and it was like, why is everybody else so quiet? My mind's like a zoo. It's crazy in here. Then you go to the group interviews, you hear what's going on for other people and you're like, oh. This is a human mind. Everybody's like this. Oh, okay. Maybe it, there's nothing wrong with me. It's such a great realization. One of my uh, fellow teachers who I was teaching with a, um, a couple of months ago, he said that his practice has been a continual lowering of standards. <laughs> 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 and um, I like that because what, what we do is we start out with these, like, these expectations that somehow we should be perfect, like this expectation we should be able to sit down and pay attention to the breath, no problem. We should be able to do that, right? It's not that hard. You know. And so we have these really high standards for ourselves <laughs> and then when we really um, embrace this human experience um, we tend to have to lower our standards a little bit. Little bit. This is about befriending ourselves, not um, as Ethan says in the quote, not um, chasing these unmeetable expectations, but coming down. The expectation that we can meet is to come down and learn to love our experience as it is. So we, we learn to accept our experience, but we also get curious about it. It's not like passive. We're not meant to just be like, oh, well, that's the way it is, you know, kind of fatalistic and passive. It's not like that at all. So we also get really curious about our experience, like, you know, where's the stress here? Where's, where's, where am I hooked here? Why am I unhappy? What's happening, you know? Not thinking about the question so much as looking in our experience. I want to read a little story. It's from a book called Buddha Takes No Prisoners, which is a great book by Patrick O'Fools. And the title of the chapter is Why Are We So Crazy? So he's talking about a yogi who is doing a, intensive solitary retreat in a, in a remote cabin by the side of a stream. It says, after a few days of practice, he began to hear the stream playing the Star-Spangled Banner. <laughs> Maddened by the constant repetition of this unloved anthem, he went outside and started rearranging the rocks, hoping that the stream would either shut up or play a different tune. No such luck. After three fruitless attempts to manipulate external reality, he finally got it. The problem was not in the stream, but in his own mind, whereupon the stream just burbled. <laughs> so this is what we, ch- we try to understand. You know, why are we so crazy? <laughs> What's really going on here? <laughs> and a lot of it is about um, uh, accepting personal responsibility for our unhappiness. <laughs> so learning to look within to see where are we hooked? And this is not to say that sometimes there are circumstances in life that really are challenging, you know. Um, but it is about looking within and finding where can we find the peace, where can we find happiness in this world that is going to have times when annoying things happen, like uh, streams play the Star-Spangled Banner or whatever. <laughs> there will be annoying things that will happen in this life that will be... Hard, hard things that will happen in this life. There will also be joy and happiness, but it will change. So it's like, how do we live in this kind of universe? What can we trust? How can we be fearless? These are the kinds of things we're interested to learn. So as we, as we um, get some perspective on our thoughts, then we can start to understand what kind of thoughts might be useful to think and what kind might not be useful to think. I, when I was younger, I, was, I, I called myself a worry wart. <laughs> I worried a lot. I was a master, master warrior. And um, like when I was a teenager, like when I would go to bed every night, I would actually um, I would, I would review the day to make sure I'd worried about everything enough. <laughs> it was like, is there anything I hadn't worried enough about so I'd make sure I could worry about it a little bit. And, um, you know, as I, as I uh, got older and as I started to meditate, it's like I started to really look at worry. And it's like there's some kind of illusion with worry that, that it solves something. But when I really started to look at it, it was like worrying solves nothing. It's useless. Sometimes planning's useful, right? Sometimes it's good to plan what you're going to do. But worrying, I realized it was just my wish to control. And so then I started to be able to actually worry would come up, and I would start to be able to say, oh, you know, this isn't so helpful. So so there started to be some space around the worry. It was like I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have to automatically get sucked into it. And this comes from that mindfulness waking up, being present. And then sometimes when there's something in our life that needs to be planned, it's good to think about the future and what should be done and weigh pros and cons or whatever um, needs to be done. Then it's, then, then it's good to think. It's helpful. So when I talk about um, thought here, I don't... Um, Again, it's important to understand that it's not about trying to control our thoughts, because you can't do that. It's really a, um, a painful uh, road to try to take. <laughs> you can't control whether your mind goes off into thought. The moment you have some sense of choice is that moment that you wake up. So there is that moment you've been lost in a thought, and you're like, oh, I've been thinking. So there is some choice in that moment. You can go back to your anchor. You can continue to indulge in the thought. (laughs) You can notice what happens to the thought. What happens in that moment you wake up? We're interested in that. Does it, what happens to the thought? Um, And as we learn to, but we can practice uh, letting go of the thought, coming back to the anchor. And as we learn to do that, um, the power of the thoughts over us does weaken. And it takes time. It takes time. A couple of... Um, a couple of months ago, I went canoeing with my uh, partner, and um, this is another example of working with thoughts and how they create our world. I went canoeing with my partner, and we went up to this lake in uh, New Hampshire, and I was looking forward to a nice spring day with um, We like to uh, look at birds, and I like to ID wildflowers. So I was looking forward to a nice spring day doing these things, and so we get on the pond. It's a kind of remote pond, and, um, you know, birds and everything. And then at the far end of the lake, somebody started doing target practice. So these gunshots, right? And it went on pretty much all day. And I was really interested in how my mind related to this experience, right? Because without, when, if the, when the mindfulness wasn't strong, I was very upset about these gunshots. You know, it's like, I came here to have a peaceful day on the lake. And who is that person and I started imagining who this person was and what kind of person this person was who was shooting the gun and and um and there was like I had this sense of entitlement to having this lake like be quiet and um that was a suffering trip. It wasn't real pleasant. Mm-hmm. And um so you know I was working with it, noticing the reactivity and noticing the kind of absurdity of the thoughts because that person had just as much right to shoot a gun and target practice as I had to be on the lake in a canoe. Um, and then we got to the far end of the lake, we were kind of near where the gunshots were happening and there were these frogs. And um, they're tree frogs, I think. They make this incredible, um, oh, I don't know how to describe the sound they make, but it's really, it's kind of like a chirper. Um, but it's very loud, lots of frogs making the, this loud noise, you know, and, and I was loving it, these spring frogs. and. Are you going to tell me what kind of sound they made? Do you know? No, I'm just appreciating. That. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, you know, I was like, oh, it's so cool, all these frogs, is great and everything. And so then my partner turns to me and he says, I wonder if we knew, if we didn't know that this sound was a frog sound and the gun sound was somebody, you know, shooting a gun, if they would be all that different in our minds. Because it was interesting. The frog sound was kind of, loud and eh, eh, you know it had kind of <laughs> you know so it was really interesting it's like we, we had created our world through our thoughts you know my thoughts about the gunshot my thoughts about the frogs that's how we live we create this world from our thoughts and then we suffer right so what's it like to just be with the experience of the frog sound just as it is the gunshot just as it is gunshots just as they are this is how we, this is what we mean by getting interested in our minds, and and this is a small example, but this is how our lives are. You know, this is how we put together our lives. So, working with thoughts, a, a great place to bring curiosity and um, understanding, understanding the power of thoughts when we're lost in them, and and the powerlessness of thoughts when we're aware. Oh, it's getting late. There's more to say. Let's see here. So I just, I think I'll say a few words about, um, emotions. We also, just as we get interested in thoughts, we also are interested in emotions and what they are and how they color our experience and how we get hooked and how we can be free without having to get rid of anything. So as we get in more into the uh, instructions, we'll talk about how we connect with emotions physically in the body. What is an emotion? It's a, it's a, um, a set of uh, physical sensations and thoughts, and so we connect with them and try to understand. And what's interesting is the experience that we'll often have of resisting emotion. And then there will be a moment when we open to it and say, oh, OK, I can be with this. And so we start to understand, is the suffering the emotion itself, or is the suffering the wishing it was going away or wasn't there, the resistance to it? I was on um, another lake uh, a couple days ago, again, canoeing. and. Um, It was one of these days, kind of like today, where these thunderstorms uh, came. No, we didn't have thunderstorms today. Anyway, it's one of those days where we've had a lot of days of thunderstorms recently. So it was one of those days thunderstorms were coming through. And at one point, there's this huge thunderstorm coming. It looks like it's going to pass the north. We're like, oh, should we get in the canoe and try to get out of here? Should we, you know, we're on a rock, kind of exposed. Should we hide in the woods? Should we what are you supposed to do not to get hit by lightning? You know? And uh, so it was, it was kind of anxiety producing, this big storm coming, um, and we were way down the lake. And, um, and then at a certain moment, it's like, we're not going to go. It's, we're not going anywhere. And then I, got in, then I got like, oh, this is great. You know, I got really interested in thunderstorm, and it was booming across the lake, and it was like, this is wonderful. It's great. And then the thunderstorm came over, and then it was gone, and it was really quiet. Like, the water was, like, quieter than it had been before. It was just calm. And it reminded me so much of, like, emotions and how they come through in our lives. It's like, so we see this big commotion coming or something, or we, or we don't even see it, but we're anxious. We know it's kind of there, and we're like, no, no. You know, we get all worried about it. Oh. And then when we just go, oh, it's here. It's like a thunderstorm coming through, like thunder and lightning. It's like, puff, puff. and then it goes. And then it's quiet, so we learn to like let the thunderstorms come through and it doesn't have to be a problem, it's just a universal human experience. The thunderstorm of anger, the thunderstorm of loneliness, the thunderstorm of fear, the thunderstorm of desire, it's like, oh, it's okay. So we start to see that all the places within us that frighten us, that seem um, hard to deal with, they're really just places looking for love. So the, the the thinking mind, the emotions, the pain in the body, all of it, how can we learn to connect with love? That's what we're working with. And we start to trust, we trust as we, as we keep going, you know, sitting, walking we start to trust that we can do that, that we can connect with our lives with love. We get a stronger and stronger faith in our ability to do that. And sometimes it calls on us to, to be a spiritual warrior, sometimes our, our spiritual hero, hero or heroine, it calls on us to stretch at times to a little bit further than we're comfortable. A couple of... Um, Weeks ago, I was walking in the woods. I like to walk in the woods near my house, and I like to get lost. Some of you who have been here before know know I've told stories about this before. I like to get lost. Now, I'm not crazy. I I get lost in areas where I'm probably not going to get too lost. You know, I know there's a river over there. There's a road over there, whatever. But I like to go just bombing through the woods, and um, I like to get a little lost. But there's always this moment when I'm getting lost Like, I'll think, oh, I'm really lost. And there'll be this moment like, oh, my God, where am I? What if I went too far that way and I don't know it and I'm going to, you know, be circling in the woods for hours? And um, so there's always this kind of this moment of it's like uncomfortable. And then the other day I was thinking as I was walking, I thought, you know, if I didn't have this moment of discomfort, I wouldn't be having an adventure. I thought, the reason I'm having an adventure is because I'm willing to feel uncomfortable. You know, otherwise it's just the known. It's where we've been before. And so with practice, it's it's like um, at times we have to feel un- a little uncomfortable if we're going to stretch, if we're going to grow. And that's when we have to call on our spiritual warrior within, and call forth some discipline. And for example, sticking with the schedule. Or, or staying, is staying on the retreat, even if it's hard. Not giving in to the voice that says, oh, you need a nap in the morning and a nap in the afternoon. And the UMass Mindfulness Center in Worcester, they have a brochure they put out for their program, and the first sentence says, Meditation is not for the faint-hearted, nor for those who routinely avoid the whispered longings of their own heart. So it's true, meditation's not for the faint hearted. (laughs) Now after I just said all that, there are times when the kindest, most loving thing to do is to back off. So there's times when um, uh, the warrior needs to rest. And so um, sometimes it's appropriate to not follow the schedule. Sometimes it's appropriate to leave a retreat. I think all of us have done it. So, so not to, again, um, it's not to be a spiritual warrior with aggression. It's to be a spiritual warrior with love. And, uh, you know, we can talk over these kinds of things with the teachers if if we're, um, if we're feeling like maybe it's a bit too much. Sometimes it's, it's the right thing to take it easy. So just to make sure you know that. So as we do this practice, as we keep going, we learn to trust our experience. And we are able to call forth this kindness with what comes up. We start to have this sense of fearlessness in our life, that, it's, that our life is okay, that we don't need to be afraid, that we can be here, we can show up more and more. So the place we have to learn this kind of wisdom and love is, is right here in our own bodies, our own hearts, our own minds. The time is right now. The great news is now is always available. It never gives up on you. <laughs> and life is the only teacher that we need. Our life, just as it is. I think I'll end with a little poem, if I can read it. (laughs) I still haven't gotten used to the fact that I need reading glasses. It's by um, somebody named Frank Gaspar. It's called "Tonight Tonight It's a Word. My joints are throbbing from holding my body together. It's the only way some nights I know I'm alive. I am profoundly happy. Keats is here in his letters and St. John of the Cross and a paper about stars that are so dense that normal atoms cannot survive in them. It's one of those summer nights, an onshore flow bringing the savor of plankton into the skylight of my little room. Nothing I would call a breeze, just a whiff of the sea from far off and the private song of the ceiling fan and a shy hum from somewhere deep in the sleeping house. And notebooks and the cat just think my heart was starving once maybe that was this afternoon i didn't make this world i would never have known enough about the stars and the atoms i would never have gone beyond my famished heart if i listen very hard i can hear the silence under absolutely everything or maybe it's a prayer Or maybe tonight it's only a word. Maybe it's yes. Let's sit for a minute. I didn't make the world. I would never have known enough about the stars and the atoms. I would never have gone beyond my famished heart. If I listen very hard, I can hear the silence under absolutely everything. Or maybe it's a prayer. Or maybe tonight it's only a word. Maybe it's yes. Thank you for your attention to the Dhamma. So a couple of um, brief announcements. Um, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.